Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Orange Pillar app is live on Android. You heard it here first. It's done. It's revved up. It's ready to go. Go find some plebs. Go build some meetups. Go do something very, very special. This is all about Bitcoin's social layer, getting to know each other. Get to a conference as well. You know they're coming up. 2023 is going to be huge for conferences. Get to BTC Prague. That's going to be very, very competitively priced. And they are expecting a big turnout. They're going to have some big names there too. Just keep an eye on that btcprog.com and use the code bitten at checkout for 10% discount get to miami for the big one get over there there's going to be lots of pleb parties for you guys to go and hang out and meet all of your favorite bitcoiners just head to the website head to the link in the show notes use code bitten at checkout and you'll get 10% discount off of those tickets as well make sure you're stacking though you know where to stack swan bitcoin have you covered in the u.s and relay have you covered in Europe, especially if you want to utilize their private services. This is something they've been building out, both companies. This is a real new offering for Relay in 2023. They're really pushing it for high net worth individuals and for small to medium sized enterprises. Yes, they're gonna help businesses put Bitcoin on their balance sheet and you get a one-on-one conversation with an expert to do that at Swan or Relay. So if you're looking to do that on either side of the pond, just give me a shout. I can hook you up. Make sure you're stacking sats as well. You can use their DCA app service and you can also use Coin Corner, who are based out of the UK and can accept euros as well. So you can stack with Coin Corner if you're anywhere in Europe or in the UK. Just open an account and you can set up a merchant account with them as well. You see where this is all heading? You see the merchants are coming in, they want those merchant accounts so they can stack Bitcoin or they can accept Bitcoin, offer another form of payment to their customer base, i.e. you guys who are dying to support merchants that are accepting Bitcoin. So keep this conversation alive. If you want KYC free sats, you can use hodlhodl.com. Hit the link in the show notes. That will save you on commissions. This is a peer-to-peer global trading platform. So you're going to be covered with all of those fiat currencies and you can buy and sell Bitcoin on there. Definitely worth you checking out. If you want to look into a coin join service, wasabiwallet.io is a very easy place to start. You just download the software, you create a wallet. You're probably bored of me telling you this. Just create a wallet, run some sats through it. Did you like it? Did you not? Is this a rabbit hole you want to start going down? But this will help improve your privacy. It's worth looking into if you're that little bit advanced. If you're first into the rabbit hole, you're new here, just just slow it down. You might not want to look at that yet, but you will want to buy some Bitcoin. You can use HODL HODL, like I said. That would be KYC free anyway. And then you want to get it onto a cold storage device. Use Shift Crypto. .ch forward slash bitten and use code bitten at checkout 
for a 5% discount. Stack safe and enjoy this rip with Alex from HeatBit. All right, guys, we're here with uh, Alex Buseroff from HeatBit.com. Yes. Alex, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for, for, your, for inviting me. And a uh, big shout out to Joe, who connected us. Joe Nakamoto, you know who you yeah. are, you know you're doing great work. Uh, did you guys meet at one of the conferences just recently? Uh, no, we actually never met in person. You know, this is this is the uh, the post-COVID world. People know each other without meeting in person. Um, we met on Twitter and you know exchanged messages, uh, chatted about our stuff. I know that Joe is uh, using a heat bit now. Uh, hopefully, he likes it. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure he'll share his opinions on it at some point. Oh, then I look forward to. I'm sure he's working on some kind of big release and article uh, in the way that that Joe does. Uh, gets so he's doing brilliant work for for Bitcoiners in the space. Right? Okay, Lauren, who also knows Joe. Yeah, Jojo Cringe Joe. Jojo Cringe Joe. Yes. Jojo Cringe Joe. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um... uh, you know what? I've made the big mistake here, Alex. After asking, <laughs> we didn't plug in anyone. Hang on. After asking you to get set up, I didn't set up correctly myself, but it will all be, that will all be better now. We will have the better sound. And uh, in the spirit of the Once Bitten podcast, there will be no editing or reruns. So <laughs> go, go ahead, Lauren, speak right. clearly into that microphone you just plugged in. So what is your favorite thing about Bitcoin miners? what is my favorite thing about bitcoin miners as people or as devices devices oh um my favorite thing about the device is that they can do two things at the same time i really like when essentially you can use the same resource to do two things it kind of makes the the, the world a bit more efficient around us um and i i really like it i think in the, in the world of the scarce resources you know, whenever we can reuse something, uh, I think it's great. And Bitcoin Minus is one of those things. You've seen our mining machine, right? Yeah. What do you think of those things? I remember it's fun. Um, <laughs> what do I Let me ask you a question, things? Lauren. Did, yeah? Did, did, did you try mining yourself? Did you, you know, operate any of those machines? And what do you think of those? No, um, but my dad brought it out and he turned it on and there was a fan and we basically put like these Bitcoin balls on top of it and they started floating and then oh, yeah. it was like... <laughs> yeah. That's right, you see? Yeah, you can make you can make even toys out of them. Uh, we were floating <laughs> little uh, Bitcoin balls on the um, the air that was being pushed out from the back of the fan. Mm-hmm. Just as um just as an experiment. <laughs> That's I, I know to do. That's awesome. I never thought of that usage. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what happens when you get kids involved around a mining machine. You know, it's just another object to figure out fun things to do with. And then you had a little seance around it, didn't you? Basically, Daddy wanted to do a picture about like, you know, the meme with all the witches and they have that weird song and they go round and round on the brooms. Basically, my dad wanted to do that, but with the Bitcoin machine. Yep. Well, you you were all sitting around it, holding hands, going home, which is the sound a Bitcoin machine makes, right? And ASICs makes that sound. 
And uh, I think, therefore, um, Bitcoin mining is very Zen, if that's the sound you make. <laughs> it could even be called Buddhist. So uh, there you go. For, for those people that are falling down the religion rabbit hole and Bitcoin mining, there's always a way to, to link these things in. Bitcoin is peace. Anyways. Okay, Lauren, okay. do you want to say goodbye? Anyways, bye. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Lauren. All right, Alex, where, where, where do you join us from today? Shanghai. Oh, okay. Shanghai, uh, China. China. Okay. So, but originally from Russia, and I'm guessing yeah, from, I... from your accent, you must have spent some time in the UK. <laughs> I did. Uh, so I, I grew up in Russia, but then I did A-levels and did my undergrad in the UK. Um, in the undergrad was in London. And then I, uh, yeah, worked in Middle East, worked in Europe, um, mostly in consulting. I actually a lot, worked a lot with the energy companies, so that kind of helps now to to understand, you know, in what we do, how it all fits into the big energy systems. And since then, I've been in China for the last eight, nine years, uh, mostly in Shanghai. Okay. Are you speaking Chinese as well? Uh, quite a bit. I wouldn't say that I'm fluent. Uh, uh, I'm def definitely quite a bit better with English than with Chinese. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, mate. I, live, I lived in Singapore for 15 years, and uh, the, the problem there is it's, it's Asia for beginners. Uh, you know, you get there and all the, it's still very colonial. All the road signs are still in English. The, the, the national language is English. So you have, you have no drive at all to learn the, the Cantonese or Hokkien or um, any of the local little dialects. So yeah, very, very little exposure to it, even though you live in halfway around the globe. Uh, but is, I visited Shanghai a few times and my goodness, like, you know, getting around if, you only speak English is pretty difficult sometimes. No, I definitely can get around, but I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do this podcast in Chinese for example. I'm definitely not on that level. So, what was I did manage to teach teach some of the workers, you know, how to um, how to do certain things and assembly of you know of, of our heaters, but uh, that that I think as as far as I could go. And it's such an amazing product. I really love the look of it. I was just showing Lauren uh, the the video on your on your website, uh, and when Joe put me onto you, I was like, "Oh my god, these things are going to fly off the shelves." This this is this is exactly what people are looking for. <laughs> so we'll get into all of those specifics. Uh, but basically, for those people that haven't seen it, uh, I'll put a link and everything in to the uh, to heatbit.com and your your YouTube video. Uh, how did you? So London undergrad, you, you must have studied. What were you studying that then led you to um, this eventual path? Uh, well, I studied philosophy and economics uh, at, at LSE. Uh, so philosophy and economics, it was, it was always quite technical. Um, so it was all about the, the numbers, the logic and stuff like that. It's, it's got a very good base for anything science related later on. Uh, but it's not practically relevant to anything 
uh, you know, when you, when you study philosophy and logic, you kind of learn how to think, but, you know, you don't really remember any of the contents. Um, I think my work later on was kind of helpful. Um, as, as a consultant, I worked with governments, large energy companies, and kind of understand the, you know, how the energy systems and power distribution, power generation, heating, you know, how, how all of those work and where the efficiencies could come from. Uh, but the 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 actual device, I think that came from just a general interest. You know, as, as a kid, you kind of like to break things, take things apart, understand how they work. I think that was really the you know the the, the first steps and the, the basic things. Um, it all started in 2020. Um, the COVID was just starting. We were, we were the we were the first ones here in China to uh, be quarantined right um and frankly it was kind of boring um uh, so i was staying at home i bought and i bought a miner just to play with uh, i bought a ant miner s9k i think um and it wasn't too really too minor it was you know it's just it was a toy um so I, I turned it on in my bedroom immediately realized two things that i just kind of heard of but didn't you know feel it before the noise and the heat. And pretty quickly, there was just an idea like, well, what if we solve the noise? Then it could be a pretty good heater. And then, then you start kind of digging into it, understanding it in more detail, and kind of step by step, you, you, you get somewhere. It's, it's funny you mention uh, philosophy and economics and, uh, and London School of Economics, actually. Uh, I had Mick on from Geyser Fund. I, I, you guys might be around the same kind of age, you might have been at LSE together. But uh, you, you should definitely, you know, he was studying economics and uh, anthropology, if I remember correctly. Uh, and just the other day, I was listening to Troy Cross and Knuts von Holm, big shout out, two very good friends. Uh, and they were going, doing a deep dive on philosophy because that's Troy's background. And they were talking about Descartes. And um, I just, it suddenly popped into my mind. It's like, you know, I think, therefore I am. But no way. Hang on. We got to upgrade that. That that has to be modern day. I sink, therefore I am, with the Bitcoin network. Was that running... a bit of German or no? No, no. I, I as in sinking to the uh, you know running a full node, sinking to the Bitcoin um, blockchain. Uh -huh. So I sink, therefore I am. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure there's a, a great discussion you could have with with Troy about um, philosophy and uh, you know what you were studying and how this all ties in with real economics like sound money not the nonsense fiat clown world that we have and it's just going to blow open so many different doors and ways of thinking but how did you come across bitcoin though originally um how i was trying to remember when was the first time i heard about bitcoin i think it was it was actually late 2008 maybe maybe the beginning of 2009 First time I heard of it, it was in some, I think it was some news or maybe some forum. I kind of vaguely remember it. Um, and I just started working then. So I graduated in, in 2008 um, and just started working. So the financial crisis hit. Uh, I was lucky that I had a stable job and, you know, could just, um, could just get through the crisis okay, I guess. But I remember reading all those news and understanding how the crisis um 
um, was unfolding uh, around the world. I was in the Middle East at that time, and some of the work that I was doing was actually helping some some of the big organizations to get through the crisis. So I could really see how you know people were struggling. Um, and yeah, I remember reading about Bitcoin and some either some forum or, or some news. It was right around the, at that time that it was born. Um, it sounded like an interesting idea, but I didn't pay as much attention to it. I kind of kind of quickly, you know, skimmed through. Um, and then it all came back in, in 2017. Actually, it was my dad who started talking to me uh, about crypto, not, not just Bitcoin, but crypto in general. Uh, and at first, I was actually super negative. I think that's the that's the reaction that a lot of people get. Um, you know, uh, reaction to something new, which I guess is natural. People kind of take it critically, negatively. Um, and I was very negative. It's like, oh, come on, Dad. You know, this all sounds like a scam. But then you start thinking deeper and understanding it deeper, and then you kind of get converted. Uh, and yeah, that's you know, here I am now. What made your dad look at it then? Why was why was he falling down the rabbit hole? Because it's not often I it think... happens that way. It's usually us begging the parents, like, please take a look at this. Uh, same thing. He spoke to some of his friends. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly who it was. I have a guess, though. I think it was one of the investors in one of the uh, big mining companies. I think he was the one who probably... Uh, brought it up and kind of converted him um so yeah so I, I know the guy and i know that he is good I'm, I'm i'm sure he could be very persuasive so my dad got converted and then the guy kind of got converted is he is he still in russia or is he elsewhere in the world uh my dad yeah my dad uh, lives in moscow now um he he was in cyprus for a few years and recently he, he moved to moscow Oh man, well, there's there's a few touch points right there. Like you know, if you saw what happened in Cyprus, uh, well, we all knew what happened, but to have been close to it and seen people really suffer, and then of course, any mm -hmm. anybody that's grown up in Russia has a very very keen eye on you know yeah, the 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 currency that we use can literally go to zero. Grown up under black market conditions, uh, certainly the the older people. Um, all of these things, all of these touch points that have happened in people's lives prior to Bitcoin are just, I, I believe, priming people for, for the discovery of Bitcoin. And when, when it all suddenly clicks, it's like, ah, okay, I can protect myself or mm -hmm. I now know why this happened in the past and how I can avoid that in the future. Uh, so mid consulting. Yeah. So I remember those things. I remember those things as, as a kid. There was, I, I think it was, how old was I? Um, I was what six, I think, or mm -hmm. seven. It was just just around the time I was uh, in school, and I remember uh, suddenly my grandma was was really, you know how old people they they normally try to save money. Um, how old people are, and they suddenly to. she was trying to spend all the money, right? Um, and I was asking like grandma, why why are you doing this? And that was the time when the ruble was really falling uh, down the drain the exchange rate was really getting really really bad and very very quickly and yeah people were rushing to to buy things uh, i remember i ate a lot of ice creams that day um <laughs> yeah but it's you know as, as a kid you you kind of you kind of remember some of those stories from through, through the kids eyes uh, but now now you realize what was really happening kind of the, uh, 
the difficulties that the older generations were going through then. Um, and yeah, some some of our generations are, are facing now, right? Six years of age. It, it it is it is true, isn't it? Like we all have these touch points. <clears throat> we all have these touch points um, at some point during our uh, during our early days. So, what, what age did you leave Russia then? Um, well, I I always wanted to uh, study abroad. It was kind of interesting. So I, I came to UK to study. Spent five years uh, in in the UK, and then. It wasn't really a question of leaving Russia for me. It was, you know, do I, do I want to come back to Russia? Um, or, you know, there's so many other places that I'm excited about and you know, just tended to be in those places. Yeah. You, you've you've left London and you're now, yeah. how did you got your consulting gig? Uh, I guess that's that was the dream, right? That was uh, what every good grad was trying to get, either into finance or one of the big four. So. How, how did you manage that? And then what was the Middle East like? Uh, oh, uh, was, um, yeah. So I, I got into consulting just around the time when it, it was super hot time for banking, um, especially at LSE. I think LSE supplied a lot of talent to, to the city. Mm. Um, uh, but frankly, I didn't quite understand what the banks do. I kept asking people and they kept giving me answers. And I just couldn't understand. Uh, I think I understand a bit more now, uh, but you know, I'm not sure I'd want to be part of it. Um, anyway, uh, consulting it, it was also it also came from my dad. You know, I you know I was philosophy philosophy student, and you know, what do you want to do? I probably need to get a job soon. Um, my dad came to me and said, "Hey, why don't you have a look at consulting?" I was like, mm, "Interesting." I, I looked up. You know, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and all, all, all those, and what they do, and, and then we solve difficult business problems and you know, more general problems, not necessarily just business problems. It sounded interesting. It sounded exciting um, in a way that is very different problems, and you can really go deep and learn a lot of different things very quickly. And as a fresh grad, that's kind of what I wanted. So I I got quite excited about the the consulting work. And, you know, what do you do next? Well, you, you Google top 10 consulting companies and apply to all of those. Um, I applied to, I think, 15 um, of, of, from, from the list. Uh, pretty much everyone rejected me. Um, and I got uh, uh, invitations for an interview. It was, uh, it was for internship. It was not for a full-time job yet. It was mm -hmm. for an internship. And I got invitations for uh, McKinsey, BCG, and some other firm that was small. I don't really remember what they called them. Then uh, what happened was, uh, strangely enough, I don't think there was any of the adequate resources to prepare for those interviews at LSE. Um, so, you know, whatever you could find online, which, which, which wasn't much, it's definitely not, um, not comparable to anything you get at an MBA school. Those guys, they, they you know they know how to do those interviews uh, at undergrad at LSE. Well, at least I didn't find any any resources. Um, so I went for the first one. It was on a on a Thursday uh, with BCG, uh, and we did some cases. Um, uh, the next morning, uh, they called me. It was actually three hours before my McKinsey interview. Uh, they called me uh, and said, "Oh, we're not going to take you." I said, you know, can, can you tell me why, you know, something, you know, help me improve. And they told me that I wasn't structured enough. Um, and at that point, I realized, oh, so that's what you want. 
so the feedback from my McKinsey interview that happened literally a few hours later was that I was one of the most structured um, candidates they've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> actually, philosophy degree is very good for that because essentially you you really learn how to break down very complex, very conceptual problems, right? So structuring is probably one thing that you can actually do well as a philosophy student. Maybe the only thing. Uh, so when when you realize that's what they want from you, you know, here you have it. And yeah, uh, so my my interviews went well. Then it was another round, also went well. And yeah, I I got first I got an internship with McKinsey. Then um, it went fine, and I got a full time job offer later on. When you look back at it now, what do you? It, obviously through a Bitcoin lens. Um, what, what what do you, how, how do you think about how uh, that, that world is all set up now around these, these fiat <coughs> incentives, um, especially with, um, with consulting firms who, you know, their, their job is to literally, I mean, the whole incentive is fiat money, all of it. And uh, when they get the, um, the way I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm sure a big part of your job was, yes, you know, you can parachute into a company and, and help them restructure and you go through all of that and you bill as many hours as you possibly can. But at the same time, you've got to spend 20 to 30% of your time uh, chasing leads and trying to get that next big customer on board so then you can parachute into that company. How does that make you feel now when you realize you were just part of that huge, great big hamster wheel? Because I used to sit on foreign exchange desks as close to the spigot of money as you possibly could. And I look back on it and it's like, oh my God, who was that person? I had no idea what I was part of, really. No idea what I was doing at all. I just learned how to get through day to day and how to chase as hard as I could after that commission. You know, like I was in the biggest rent seeking seat in the city. Uh, how do you look back on that now and um yeah just explain what goes on in in the um in the consulting like a day to day what would have been of your day to day when you were doing that role i was look i was starting as an undergrad right so that's the the very junior step i started as a business analyst and kind of grew a little bit within the firm um so chasing leads and selling projects that was not uh that was not what i would do Yet, if I if I stayed, then um, I, I would be doing that. Um, but I didn't have to do any, any of that. I was actually the you know the, the the consultant level, which pretty much does the execu- execution, yeah, not the selling. So um, depending on what you actually do, if it's a strategy, you spend a lot of time researching stuff, you know, trying to understand the markets and trying to pull together the the ideas from the management into some something coherent that the company could implement. Uh, or the next day, it could be some sort of an operational project at uh, a uranium mine, and then you go down to to the actual mine. You speak with the people who work there, try to understand their job, try to figure out. Um, how to help them do the job better? Hey, I'm not sure if the line. line yeah, I can still can you... I can still hear you. Go go ahead. It might clear up, but you're frozen for now. But I can still hear you. Yeah, you're Hello? back. Yep, that's cool. Yeah, yep, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. When did it get stuck? Uh, when you go down to uranium mine and you help them uh, make things more efficient. Uh, 
yeah, and you try to figure out what is it that they do and try try to help them um, make things more efficient, sometimes safer, you know, whatever the problem that you're trying to solve. So in terms of what you actually do, I thought I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a, a, a pretty good job because I, I could see I could see that not always, but sometimes you do make an impact and make make people's work and, and life. Uh, better and more efficient at the same time you know if you look at it your question was kind of looking at through the through the uh, sound money lens and uh, uh, you know consulting just like anything else it's the part of the standard fiat economy right and you know whether it's consulting whether it's anything else it is within this um, within this bubble that someone else kind of bursts for you sometimes and you know it, you know you 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 suffer and that's you know 95 98% of people who are only within that bubble who are not yet you know exposed to something which is a lot more sound what's interesting is that a lot of smart people are at these companies and what i'm bullish about is as more companies start asking questions of the researchers of the consulting groups should i be putting bitcoin on my balance sheet we're sending mm -hmm. a lot of smart people down the rabbit hole because if you're a young analyst you're like right go analyze this bitcoin thing you know as well as i do that if you just get like one toe in the bitcoin rabbit hole you know it's like a black hole it's going to suck you in and there's no way back out Mm -hmm. um yeah plus uh, uh as far as i know it's the slightly younger generation which is more into uh bitcoin right now um that's probably not the generation that actually uh holds or controls the wealth yet but it will take a bit of time and they will get there uh you know so things will move along uh, and uh, the, the the generation which is into Bitcoin right now, I think they're going to be controlling more and more of the of the wealth, uh, and yeah, more and more of that will go into crypto. So let's move on to Heapit then, because this is such a slick piece of kit that you've managed to um, build here. Uh, truly, like it looks amazing. It's it's the kind of th it looks so cool. The kind of thing that anybody would be happy to have in their home uh, as a heater. So, talk us through those early days. Uh, you, you you touched on it a little bit. You got yourself the the miner just to tinker around with. You realized, oh shit, there's a huge problem with the noise. But like the you know the, the heat can be used for something. Uh, how did you start tinkering around trying to block that noise out? What were some of the early prototypes um actually the, the first idea that uh we tried was uh to make it completely fanless um i wanted to um to have it without a fan so it's silent right it's just no noise at all and for that you'd use the uh convection right so as the the air heats up it becomes lighter so it goes up Right. And kind of that's how any any convection heater actually actually works, right? The, the air kind of keeps going in circles. So uh, we tried to do that and spend almost a year, I think, on, on that idea, try to make it work. Um, the problem was that it even at 1.3 or so kilowatts of power, it's just so much energy that you need to 
move from the chips to the atmosphere to the air um that without a fan it's hard to do um so you need to make the device bigger um and we were ending up with like a, a huge metal thing you know this 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 heater that was still not big enough not heavy enough um to dissipate all the uh, all the heat into into the atmosphere so uh, so that that was actually the first key bit, and I think if you Google for it, you you might see some of the early prototypes. Uh, we actually put it up on a website or Indiegogo somewhere. Uh, at that time, we actually even sold a couple. Uh, we returned the money, of course. That, you know, clearly didn't work that model. Um, and yeah, turned into well, you know, why don't we why don't we actually use a fan? Um, something something quieter. Uh, maybe some more powerful fan, you know, use it in low revolutions, uh, make it quiet, make it uh, from the early on, we wanted to make um, a device, which is, uh, it's good and convenient at home. So we, we didn't want to go in the direction of making something for, you know, for, for people who use Linux, you know, so it wasn't something that, you know, with a, a, a lot of the control given to the user, a lot of buttons, difficult setup, etc. No, it was always meant to be something a bit more like an iPhone, with you know something that looks good, and kind of one button, convenient controls, that kind of an idea. Um, because, well, if you if you uh, technically inclined, you like to play with any of that stuff, he'd be. It's probably not for you actually. You you can get a, a miner yourself. Um, you can find some sort of a silent fan uh, and, you know, stick it on top and kind of build things around. It's really the DIY, and a lot of people do that. Uh, actually, the fact that a lot of people do the do-it-yourself approach on, on these heaters with miners it was one of the inspirations. Uh, it was like, well, people actually do that. So, But not everyone has the capability all the time, so, you know, why don't we make it for them? That was the idea earlier. And yeah, then we ended up with the uh, uh, with the design that we've got now. Went through I don't know how many tens, if not hundred iterations um, of different shapes, forms, sizes, ways to dissipate that heat. Putting the miner on top, you know, above the fan, below the fan. You know, it's a, a lot of things that you have to try. And then yeah, we ended up with what we've got now. Managed to industrialize it now. That's kind of the next step. And uh, yeah, now I actually have a couple working at home. I don't. You probably don't hear any noise. No, got don't hear them at all. Working uh, four meters away from me. That's incredible. Uh, so you, you're saying we? Uh, who who else is involved? Then you found a you found a team or just a, a friend? Uh, yeah, we found a team. Uh, found a, this this a friend, uh, an old friend. We've known each other for like uh, thirty years by now. Um, so started working at first, then we found a team of more professional, um, uh, engineers, uh, who did, uh, a lot of the, the, the physical design, um, and the, the software, right. There's also the mobile app, the backend, it all needs to work together. So very quickly it became the team that, that was working in that. And yeah, we've been working with the same team kind of grew it a little bit since then. Uh, so now it's. Uh, if you take the whole team, we are how many people? About fifteen people, I'd say. Wow, mate! Uh, and 
uh, it's look it just just the customer service is three people right there's, there's mm-hmm. people who ask questions and uh, last year it was uh, me responding to a lot of those questions and then the biggest feedback was that uh, I don't respond quick quickly enough uh, and then I thought well fair sometimes I wouldn't respond for like a week or two weeks sometimes longer because you know I, I get busy yeah. and then you know there's always something more burning so I, I felt really bad for not responding to a lot of the customer requests and questions and yeah now we have three people working customer support responding within 24 hours at least some mostly faster okay so let's get into some of the specifics because the uh, the plebs love <clears throat> a little bit of um deep diving what what's inside it what mining machine are you using it's an ant miner uh ant miner s9i or s9j um it's uh refurbished um so you know properly clean tested um making sure that kind of it's it's there to work well for a long time as the the core kind of the the mining capability um, then there is the uh, uh, something called orange pie uh, it's similar to raspberry pie just mm-hmm. just a different brand um, and that one is used for the uh, the the controls the the wi-fi functionality you know all of that um, then there is a, a power supply it's not the standard minor power supply because those are um uh, those are not great on the uh, American power networks, so 110, 120 volts. Uh, and miner is mostly built for 220. So a lot of the professional miners would have to upgrade their, um, their systems. Uh, but, you know, we made a, a home device. It's not necessary for the professional miners, right? So it has to work with a with standard power network. Um, and then there is a, a, a pretty powerful duct fan. Um, that we adopted for the the usage in our device. Uh, we use it at very small um, percentage of the capacity. It can blow a lot more air through, uh, but it's quiet this way, very quiet. Um, and then there is the the whole thing around the, the enclosure, the, the sound insulation system. Um, there are uh, what eight vibration dampeners. So these are kind of little uh, rubber stands on which the, the the fan and the miner stand. So when the when the fan uh, vibrates, um, it the vibration also creates noise. So by by dampening that vibration, we reduce the noise as well. And uh, some of the relays and uh, electrical setup for the uh, safety controls. So. For example, there's there's a standard software controls for uh, for overheating. Let's say there's too much power and you know the heat doesn't go through quickly enough, then the chips will start overheating and you know just like any miner, um, it drops. So there's there's multiple sensors that you know, see okay it's getting too hot, so it drops the power slightly, um, and then you know. Uh, it, it kind of go, goes back to more balanced uh, state of um, uh, the more balanced state. Uh, but what if software doesn't work, right? It's if it's a heater, it has to be safe, right? And there, there are certain standards for this, and to make sure that even if something goes wrong with the software, that 
you know, sometimes things happen. Um, we have the uh, hardware controls for the overheating. There is a thermal breaker, uh, which is basically kind of right next to the uh, chips, actually the, the, the top layer. So that's the hottest layer of the chips. And whenever that reaches uh, 100 degrees, uh, it breaks the, um, uh, the, the, the power line to the relay that controls the main power supply. So basically, if the chips reach 100 degrees Celsius, it cuts off the power completely. Uh, so that's um, one of the one of the safety controls that that we have there. Um, it was there from the beginning, uh, but it's also some of the requirements of the uh, UL and CSA. UL is underwriter laboratories um, for for the US. CSA is the same for for Canada. So to sell a heater, you have to pass certain requirements and certain tests, and that's one of the things that you know we had that pass the requirements. And as far as I mean, the, the the analogy to the iPhone, I think is brilliant because when I looked at it, uh, it's like very, very sleek design. And immediately I thought Apple products. So, you know, that, that kind of unboxing uh, moment, I imagine when people order one of these things and take it out must be very, very special. And it's literally plug and play. Like you, you just plug it into a power socket and turn it on. You don't have to, there's no ethernet. You don't have to connect it to the router. Explain what's going on at, at that point. Um, so uh, uh, you you plug in the socket, turn the power switch on at the back, um, and then um, after 30 or 40 seconds, it kind of starts blinking, uh, showing that it's ready to connect to your mobile app. Then you, you use the HeatBit app to... Uh, there's a process that essentially you give the, um, the, the password to your Wi-Fi to HeatBit, right, mm -hmm. through the app. Um, and then, yeah, the, after after the setup is done, this is the initial setup. After it's done, uh, it's the simple this front panel button controls. You you press it once. It's one mode. You press again. It's another mode. You press it for like five seconds and it turns off. Right? That's that's basically it. And then you can see the the the, the temperatures, the terahashes that you get, um, etc. On the uh, on the mobile app. Simple as that. And we get. Um, uh, uh -huh. I was going to say, and it, it just connects to a mining pool. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it's uh, automatically connects to NiceHash. Uh, we picked NiceHash because they've got pretty good APIs to uh, to manage all the user accounts and uh, logins, etc. Um, but this is the, actually one of the biggest criticisms that we're getting from the from the miner community. Uh, mm. People say, "Well, you know, why don't you let us choose our own pool?" You know, that's. That sounds suspicious. That's what people say. Um, and uh, frankly, we, we don't have any desire to restrict people from choosing the pool. It's just to create this kind of plug and play one button experience. We had to start somewhere um, where it's kind of done for the user. The user doesn't have to go to nice hash or know, even know what nice hash is to make it all work. Right. So this is, like I said, it's much more of an Apple rather than a, a Linux product. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we do plan to let users choose their own pool. It's going to be some sort of a drop down, or you know, probably some sort of an advanced mode for, you know, the the more advanced users, you know, who have the the, the accounts at the at the pool, so they could just mine to their own pool. And yeah, we're absolutely fine with that too. Uh, it's just something we haven't implemented yet. That's coming coming a bit late. Could you rotate through pools like once a quarter, like? No reason I don't, or would that just be too much of a, a pain in the ass? 
um, I think once once we've got multiple pools to choose from, rotating them between them is is easy. It's more of a question of what makes more sense of what the user wants, mm. right? Some people maybe for some reason would want to re rotate. Some people would have you know the pools that they trust and pools that they don't trust, and then, you know they just choose what what they like. Um, some people would be purely um, uh, you know earnings and clients and then we could essentially look at the stats and automatically choose the pool that would give them the, the highest pay for the terahashes that they provide you know it could be something like that as well mm. uh, essentially you know there's there's the users there's certain things that they want and our goal there is to make sure that we you know fulfill those needs so uh, let, let's let's go through like uh, an example uh, I've bought one of these things or my wife's bought me one for Christmas. It turns up, I plug it in, I download the app, I'm good to go. Uh, I'm mining Bitcoin straight away uh, by you know having joined um, the NiceHash mining pool and I'm getting heat. How does that compare to me just going down to the local electrical store and buying a plug-in radiator? Mm-hmm. Um well, there's different radiators available, right? If if you want something of you know that looks good and of high quality, that's probably gonna, probably going to be something like a Dyson for seven hundred bucks or so, right? So that's that's already not cheap, um, and that's that's going to look good. It's probably going to have some of the uh, I'm not sure if they would have the remote controls in the UK, maybe, um, uh, and yeah, it's going to burn the electricity and give you heat. Um, Heatbeat would essentially do the same thing, uh, would be a bit more expensive, but you would get that Bitcoin mining on top, right? So that's that's the comparison we, that we base our thinking off. Uh, if you're comparing it to the, let's say, a $50, $50 heater, well, yeah, you can also compare it that way. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a device that you know doesn't look as good, doesn't feel as good, probably doesn't heat that well as well. Um, one of the one of the big benefits I only realized when realized it when I started using it is because the the fan inside is actually pretty powerful. It does blow out the air quite far. the The room gets heated pretty quickly just because the circulation of the air is is pretty good. If you get a, a, a small cheap heater, it kind of heats that one corner, but doesn't necessarily heat the room. That's, yeah, it's true. It's just one thing I, I realized only when I started using it. It, it. It's true. There's only one room in our house that we've got one of these little electric heaters and you put it on and it's just like, what, what is the actual point of this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, if I want if I want to actually feel heat from it, I've got to make sure every single uh, door in that room is closed <clears throat> and I've got it set to a pretty high temperature. So I'm, you know, commanding it, demanding uh, more power from it. But then again, it only just heats up that tiny little corner. It really is. And how much, how much is that taking to heat? Is that does the does the heat bit does that draw more kilowatts per hour to to heat to do its job than would a uh, an electric standard electric um, radiator? Uh, no, no, it's exactly the same. It's 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 basically the laws of physics, right? You know, whatever energy you get in the form of electricity it becomes heat through the heater it's just if you 
uh, if you use a standard heater, there's one way of doing it. If you use the heat bed, it's silicon chips that, that do that. But in terms of the the amount of energy, it's nearly 100% for any of them. Uh, pretty much all the electric heaters, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever electric power you get you know, kind of transforms into, into heat. The only exception would probably be heat pumps, but that's a slightly different equation, right? The heat pumps, you use electricity to uh, compress the air, uh, right? Essentially, that allows you to take out a lot of the heat from the atmosphere and then bring it into your flat. So in that, in, in, in the case of a heat pump, you can be, uh, for using one unit of electric power, you can be getting three, four units of heat, just because that heat actually comes from the atmosphere, not from the power socket. And what's the advice on people for, for people to consider like running this thing 24 hours a day? Because that, it, you know, once you plug these things in, you never want to unplug them again. I felt that because I just <laughs> want to be in the game the whole time. But, um, you know, you're not going to be running it. You're not going to be running a heating machine throughout the summer months. Uh, is this something? Definitely. Would... Yeah. No, no, no. We discourage that. Uh, it's It's a heater. You know, we say it's a heater, we actually mean it's a heater. So you should really use it as a heater. So when you don't need heat, so if you don't need heat as a miner, it's going to be a pretty even inefficient miner, right? Uh, you probably don't want to run an S9 uh, at home in summer, right? Unless you're not paying for the electricity, which is a case we also don't really like. Um, so uh, because someone else is paying for that electricity, right, uh, in that case. Uh, so if you need the heat, it can make sense for you. Uh, if you don't need the heat, then yeah, don't use it. Uh, uh, moreover, if you've got uh, if you've got an alternative um, uh, heating system that is good and efficient, uh, let's say you've got a heat pump, you're already invested into a heat pump. Heat pumps are super energy efficient. Well, great, use it. Um, if you've got uh, you know if you've got gas, which is pretty cheap uh if you know those things still exist uh then yeah you use that but if you if you use uh, electric heating um and you know you're just you're just burning that electricity you might as well get a bit of bitcoin for it you know that's that's essentially where uh heat bit starts to make sense yeah i mean we burn fuel to heat this house where we are in France, you know, most of the houses are still burning fuel. You, you have the great big oil tank outside and you fill it up once a year. And of course, with prices through the roof, if you need a thousand liters of fuel, that's 1400 euros that you're going to burn through just to heat your home. Wow. Um, well, I, I actually, I didn't look too deep into you know, how, how it's done in France. Uh, I was expecting there would be a lot of the electric heating, just because France is, is famous for all the all the nuclear power, right? Which, you know, essentially the power should be pretty cheap. So I thought a lot of the heating would be electric, but yeah, burning fuel is uh, is not necessarily the best way. It's pretty expensive. So if I was to have a heat bit that could heat a great, a big portion of my home, um. And just have the thermostat set a lot lower, so it only kick in if it got really cold to burn the fuel. Then I'm. <laughs> it's basically cost me eleven $1 hundred dollars or euros, whatever you retail at, uh, to get myself 
a an electric heat pump. Whereas at the moment here, if you want to switch to uh, the pompe chaleur, uh, as it's called, uh, even with the government subsidies, and a whole different story, you're looking at like 30 or 40 grand to replace the old boiling systems that are in um, in the homes here, like uh, in, in the countryside. France is basically countryside, a lot of it. Uh, that there is um, mm-hmm. obviously some cities, uh, Paris, Bordeaux, Toulouse, larger cities where probably it's all running on electricity. But the you know the most of the country is still living in these old houses with these old fuel boilers. It makes so much sense to buy one of these things. That's actually how how I use it at home. So um, I've got two running right now. Uh, one is running in my bedroom at fifty percent of power. One is running here at seventy five percent of power. Uh, but if it gets really cold, um, and in Shanghai the buildings are not really built for for winters. Like you can see, there's this huge door that I've got. That's that's a balcony door. And, right. Um, uh, right next to it is always super cold. Um, just because it's a single glass, right? Yeah. Sometimes it does get very cold, and then I do turn on the some additional heating from from the AC. Um, uh, I feel bad about it because it basically just burns electricity. But if I need a bit of extra heat, I kind of use that. <laughs> so you can control the amount of power um, going into the heat bit. Like, is it does it work as course. a thermostat as well? Um, so. Right now, you can just control the the amount of power as in fifty percent, seventy seventy five percent, one hundred percent. And for the thermostat, we already have all the hardware inside. It's for the thermostat functionality, where you can just set the certain temperature and kind of heat it would work towards it. Uh, but we haven't finished the software functionality for it, so it's going to come as a software update where you know it's going to work as a thermostat on existing devices, but it's not there yet. So in the future, I'll just be able to set it to 21 degrees, plug it in, set it to 21 degrees, and it's just going to mine every time that is that that temperature it feels drop below 21 degrees. It's going to turn itself on, enter back into the pool, hash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. How does this like not enter every single home, building, warehouse, office like the, it solves so <laughs> much there's, there's there's two big reasons um one reason is uh it's costly right there's still the cost of capital to it um the um having what this like 200 silicon chips inside right uh uh, they are obviously uh quite a bit expensive than a usual um coil right that super cheap so uh, that upfront cost is one reason and it means that if you have a use case where you're going to keep using it non-stop the whole your, your winter is long and you need to, for to use it for like 16 hours 24 hours a day mm-hmm. then it makes sense but if you live in a country where winter is two months and you only need to use it for a few hours a day then probably paying that upfront cost doesn't make that much sense Right, then you know, just 
bite the bullet, pay pay slightly higher cost of power or not generating Bitcoin. It just doesn't make sense to buy a Hibid or a similar mining device and have it not running for 90% of the time, right? So that's one reason. And second reason I think is, I think it just takes time. You know, we, we only started shipping these devices this, um, this winter. Um, you know, we're going to ship some this year. We're going to ship more next year. Um, I'm sure there's going to be other companies who are going to be looking into this direction and might start shipping next year, but hardware takes a bit of time to develop. So probably not next year, but the year after they're going to kind of follow suit. Um, and yeah, I think, I think this is going to grow. Uh, I mean, I might even say a, a lot of the miners and not going to like when when I say that the the Bitcoin mining, I think it's actually going to move into heating because think of it, think of it this, think of it down the line, right? You know, the, the grand things, you know, who, who's going to, who's going to actually be mining Bitcoin? Uh, actually, Satoshi was saying that uh, in, in, in the forum that, well, for whoever it's cheapest, Right, mm -hmm. makes sense. If, if if it's cheaper for you to buy in Bitcoin, then you're gonna do it, and for someone else, for whom it's more expensive, they're not gonna do it. That's kind of how economics works. And if you are, you know, a, a big professional miner with a with a, with a warehouse and, and thousands of uh, of miners, well, you may have a low cost of power, just because of the economies of scale, but you still need to pay for that power. Right, you're not gonna get it for free. Whereas when it's heating, uh, a user who's heating, they basically mining for free. So if Bitcoin, actually, if Bitcoin goes down, let's say Bitcoin is at one dollar. For forgive me for saying that, but let's <laughs> say it's at one dollar. Uh, all the large miners, they're gonna have to turn off. Right, it makes no economic sense for them to keep mining. Whereas for those people who are heating with mining, it still makes sense to run. It's a bit of an extreme example, but it really shows you, you know, the, the, the direction. And what I think is that the, the mining is going to be built into the, the heating more and more. And we're not just talking about the, you've got the residential space heating that takes, right now it takes uh, over 600 terawatt hours of uh, electric power. Uh, it's, it's more than the power consumption of Germany or Brazil. That's just the residential electric space heating uh, and Bitcoin mining is, I, I hear different numbers, 150 to 200 terawatt hours, right? So basically all of the Bitcoin mining could be done through heating already. Uh, but then you've got other things. You've got the industrial heating, commercial heating, you've mm -hmm. got, you've got water heating, um, you know, heating swimming pools, water for, you know, cooking, etc. cetera. Um, so more and more, I think there's going to be more of the devices that use the, the, the chips for, um, for heating, and I think the the era of the big industrial miners uh, is going to be coming to an end. It's already started just this week. Core Scientific have filed for mm -hmm. you know um, Chapter Eleven, and another barrier yeah. to entry for the plebs. Right, a barrier to entry for the plebs is the cost of the machines. Uh, is the cost of the heat bit because um you know when people are looking at if i've got a spare 1100 dollars do i buy the thing 
or do I just buy sats? That's always mm -hmm. an economical decision on people's minds. So what's going to drive down the cost of these things? Well, the cost that you guys can get the, the raw materials at. And if we're going to have tens of thousands of ASICs, secondhand ASICs come on to the market, you guys are going to be able to pick those up a lot cheaper than you ever have done before. You can refurb them and you, you know, you're getting better at doing that. I'm sure because that's just the, the nature of efficiency and technology and, um, you know, entrepreneurial skills that should be able to help you guys drive down the cost of the, uh, the sticker price. Uh, yeah, that's actually the big thing that I'm working on for for the next year already. Um, we do want to drive down that cost. We do want to make this barrier of entry a lot lower. And there's a few things that you can do. One is just growing bigger, right? As, as you get bigger in, in volumes, your unit cost goes, goes down. Um, so that's that's one thing. Second thing, um, we, we actually use, using the uh, hunt miners that, that we use right now, that was just a temporary step, right? This is just kind of to, to get things off the ground. Um, we, we're working on uh, using more efficient chips on completely new, um, uh, completely new boards that are built specifically for the heating. Uh, right now, one of the things we had to uh, deal with and was a bit of a problem for us is that, you know, the way that Antminers are built, they're built as industrial devices, right? So they try to minimize the space that all of those chips take. For a heat, it's actually not great because you've got this heat source and a lot of heat is very con concentrated. And it makes it harder to dissipate that heat into the uh, atmosphere. Whereas if you have a slightly different form factor that makes it easier to, to move all the heat in the atmosphere, you need less of an effort of the fan. You can kind of use more power on, on the, the, the same existing chips, et cetera. So um, that's, that's the direction that we're taking, right? And that generally, it, it's just going to be a more efficient design that, that make things cheaper. Um, uh, the, the point number two is, uh, we can make a, a less powerful heater, right? No, no, I'm, I'm not using it 100% right now. So maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't have a heater, which is 1.3, 1.4 kilowatts. Maybe it's better to have three heaters of 500 watts each. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I, I could use one in this corner, one in that corner, etc. And then if it's 500 watts, then maybe we don't need a fan then it can be completely fanless and completely silent and still works just, just as well. So that's the, the other direction that we're going to be taking. And direction number three is we're trying to figure out essentially financing option so that we could give it to the user pretty much at cost, maybe even below cost, but then share the rewards. Mm. Um, right? So instead of being a $1,000 heat, it could be... Hundred, two hundred dollar heat, you know, something which makes it comparable to the to the cheap heaters that you get, um, and then yeah, you use it and then you benefit. We benefit, you know, the, the whole thing grows. So that's pretty much what we're working on for for the next gen. Realistically, what could one of the plebs expect if they if they bought one of these heaters as it is as it stands at the moment over a year? Well, no, it wouldn't be over a year because we don't have winter for that long, right? So season. over a winter, over yeah. a season, yeah, over a season. Over over a season, over a winter, let's say Northern Europe, four months, I think, would be a fair 
a fair judge. If you've got it plugged mm-hmm. in most hours of the day, um, I don't know, seven or eight hours a day for four months, how many sats are you realistically looking to have mined? Have you have you got any rough numbers on that? Do you do, do, do count in sats on this channel or in, on, in dollars still? Both. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> okay, let's... <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, so if you run it for 24 hours a day, it gives you uh, five, 6,000 sats right now. So that's okay. about 80 cents. Right. That's 24 hours a day. So mm-hmm. if you say that you're going to use it eight hours a day, well, divide it by three. Right, mm-hmm. so uh, two thousand sats uh, or twenty eight cents mm-hmm. per day. Um, so if you say that it's uh, hundred days, uh, then it's twenty eight dollars or um, two thousand by hundred two hundred thousand sats over a hundred days uh, period using it eight hours a day. Which, you know, with these inputs, I think it looks pretty small. So if you're just using it for eight hours a day, you remember when I was saying about this upfront infrastructure cost and, you know, the cost of capital, et cetera. This is exactly the point. So if you, I'm, I'm using my heaters 24 hours a day. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been working for a few weeks now. I never turn them off. So if you're using it this way, then it makes a lot more sense. But if you're just going to use them eight hours a day, a lot less interesting then maybe having the lower infrastructure cost, I'd call it, you know, essentially the, the upfront cost of the heater, maybe having a lower cost in, in, in the case that you're describing is, is a better option. Right. But then, of course, you have to factor in the you're getting KYC free sets that are going to moon one day and um, you are... You, you, you're part of that network. There's there's some special feeling there. Like, you know, again, like I think, therefore I am. You're part of it. And you know that, and what I love about the idea of being completely globally decentralized. And if if we are coming through the next 10 years of the downfall of the big mining um, compounds, warehouses, uh, companies that you were, you were, explaining or predicting then we all need to be plugged in right and i i will be safe in the knowledge knowing that uh okay it's coming into summer now and the uh southern hemisphere is gonna take over and and look after the network uh, and i can unplug but i know you guys have got me (laughs) and uh you might still heat a bit of water and use your kettle sometimes you know (laughs) right yeah in the northern hemisphere so (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, heat in a swimming pool would be very handy. Uh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so cool, mate. It, it's really, really exciting. Uh, are you shipping globally? Uh, we uh, So we built it uh, for North America. Uh, so you've got this North American plug. Um, uh, at the same time, it works well in Europe. So it works with the European power just fine, uh, but you're going to need an adapter. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not a converter, just an adapter for the plug. Just a classic travel adapter that we've all got sitting around yeah, in yeah. the drawer. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's not like I need to snip the plug off and then rewire on a plug. I can just 
any old travel no, no, travel no. adapter. Uh, I I use it here in China. I use it with just an adapter. Uh, works just fine. All right. Uh, investment. Are you guys looking for investment or partnerships, or you're just happy to keep bootstrapping uh, yes, it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, we need to scale. We need to scale, and right now I'm actually preparing to talk to mostly our our existing clients. Uh, you know, there's people who are very excited about Heatbit, bought the device, uh, and believe in us. And um, I think I'm going to speak to them first, uh, and that's going to be the first round. I I don't think it's going to be too big. Uh, definitely not the standard kind of crypto. Uh, crypto size investments that sometimes I read in the news and some new wallets just raised $10 million. I'm thinking like, what's, I sometimes, maybe there is something, but I just don't understand it. Okay. No. Um, so yeah, we, we're going to be raising, uh, I'd call it a seed round uh, and we're going to be raising uh, two to $3 million um, uh, now. And I think that that's going to be good for us to complete the, the next versions, you know, we own um, the PCBs uh, for for the next year. Maybe even have um, uh, a water heater by then. Uh, it's it's more of a question of time than money, I think, for that one because it's completely in product. Um, and uh, yeah, CC, you you remember I was saying that we 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 we're going to be looking for some sort of financing option for the users. If we're really going to make that work, then we're probably going to be raising more money. Uh, but that's later down the line. Right now, it's going to be focused on existing clients uh, and raising just a, you know, two, two to $3 million. All right. That sounds excellent. And I'll do my best to to open up any discussions that I can within my network to to help you guys out. But meanwhile, what, what can the plebs do? How can they help you? If they've been listening to this and they're like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is amazing. I've got an idea. How can they reach you? What are you looking for? Are you looking to hire? Um, yeah, we we hiring engineers right now. Um, we're hiring more of the uh, you know the physical construction engineers, people who know how to build three D models and, and stuff like that. Uh, so that's that's one. Um, how can people get involved? I think the easiest thing would be to make sure to follow our Twitter. Uh, that tends to be pretty active. So updates come out there. There's going to be new products coming out, and you know maybe they they, they he did make sense for uh, for for your listeners now. Well, great, you know can go and get one. We're selling them right now. Uh, if not, then following the Twitter, at least they wouldn't miss you know whatever the new models that that come out later on. Um, and yeah, just you know talk about it, share it with their friends. Maybe if it doesn't make sense for for someone who's got say good gas heating right now you know maybe they've got friends who are on electric heating and it would make sense you know, just, just share it now uh, easy to reach us i i read a lot of the twitter comments i actually respond to to a lot of them uh, uh if, if you look through our twitter and sometimes there could be some i don't i wouldn't call them aggressive but moody responses uh that's probably me <laughs> um <laughs> Our uh, marketing people tend to be a bit more polite, and I think <laughs> sometimes, like you know, if I didn't sleep enough, especially, I think that could happen. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's that's the the best ways to uh, to get in touch. For the uh, we are uh, 
we're not looking for distributors right now, but it's something that's going to be very relevant for the next year. Uh, so if anyone is running retail distribution companies, there's a form on our website that I think makes sense to fill in right now. Uh, and even though we're probably not going to speak or do any business right now, but then for the next year, it's it's going to be quite useful. Okay, excellent. And and for the for the engineers, would that be a, a remote uh, opportunity, or would they have to relocate? You've got a physical location in Shanghai. Remote. Remote, Remote, yeah. Okay. We we've got uh we do have the physical location here. Our factory is actually not far from Shanghai. Uh, it's in Zhejiang province, which is a neighboring province. Um, but right now it's basically the remote world. I think we operate from like ten different locations around the world. I mean, our our customer service. We've got you know one guy in Brazil, one guy in Argentina. I can <laughs> just show you the you know how how far it is in the, in the globe. That's awesome. So, what and th- these are actually being put together very close to where you live. You get down and you get to see them being put together and shipped out. Uh, I'm sure you're going to have to scale that operation at some point as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. This operation is easy to scale because China is basically built for large volumes. Uh, the factory that assembles heat base right now, uh, the factory does over a million devices a year, not just heat bit devices, right? They right. make other heaters and, and fans. So they make over a million devices a year. I'm sure they can do more if, if there is demand. Uh, so that's not going to be an issue to scale. Uh, it, it's more of the standard you know, growth that we need to be showing with the, uh, the demand availability of the chips and that, that will all enable us to scale. I think it just takes a bit of time, but we'll get yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Well, Alex, I've got to ask you the final question. If you had just one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to Mm -hmm. and why? Never thought of it this way. Um, would probably give it to my brother. Uh, he's still not. He's still not being converted. Uh, and you know, just just following the family tradition from father to me, from me to my brother, <laughs> could it. be could be a good <laughs> line. Line, you know. Um, but to be honest, I think it's it's gonna grow naturally uh i, I don't think the you, it, it it needs as much as a pill uh i think i think generally as people talk it just takes a bit of time for the innovation to to sink in for people to kind of understand it to get ex- exposed to it i think a lot a lot of the when you think of it you know, when the, when the railroads and locomotives came in uh, a lot of people thought that it's something from hell Yep. Right, because it was smoky, it was loud, etc. A lot of people were scared of it. Just like with many other innovations, I think you know anything goes through this stage, and then slowly it gets accepted. People get comfortable with it, and you know people started riding those trains at some point. Well, you know that 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 time is uh, is, is coming more and more, and more people will get involved. It just takes a bit of time. And you're doing an amazing job uh, because these. Not only are they awesome design, 
and you know doing uh, a great job with uh, securing the network and pumping out heat for those people that start buying them and having them in their homes they become a focal point right a talking point and you are slowly mm-hmm. orange pilling other people we had friends around for dinner the other day and he sat down next to right right next to where my node was and uh he's like what's that thing is it like uh like is that new internet tv or something aha uh-huh. that my friend <laughs> is a bitcoin node but if i had a mining machine going at the same time and that is mining Bitcoin. Like, no, what, what those horrible, dirty, electricity-eating, bad for the environment, noisy things. Like, yeah, look, look at that. Do you hear anything? Yeah. Are you nice and warm? Is it is it causing anybody any grief? Am I ruining the the planet with that in my living room, keeping us all nice and warm? Mm-hmm. Nope. And it it's really going to help. All of all of these things, not just what you're doing, but everything else that's being built in the space as well, it's all going to help as uh, we just slowly try and spread this message of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, if you you know, since you touched on the environment, um, by by turning mining to heating, um, you're actually helping to reduce the carbon footprints and the use of um, fossil. Uh, fuels uh, for the heating. Uh, basically, you make electric heating more economical versus the the gas and the oil. And then within the electric heating, a big share is renewables. Um, people normally think of the uh, wind and solar. The biggest renewable, as far as I know, globally still is hydro, um, especially in countries like Norway, Canada. Um, and that's that's very clean energy, right? The water just flows. Um, so in, by by making it more economic, there's still additional costs, right? There's still the cost of the the power networks. You can overload them, etc. Cetera, et cetera. There's still loads of costs involved there. So there's still the cost of that power. Uh, but by mining Bitcoin, you you make it you make it more economical to heat with electricity. Um, and that starts taking away from the heating with, with the gas, with oil, with wood, um, kind of making the whole the whole heating globally uh, a bit cleaner. Bitcoin, man, it, 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 it greens the planet. Yeah. What, what can I tell you? <laughs> I think it's a good good response to all the environmental challenges that, that Bitcoin mining has heard. It, it, it's possible to turn it around and actually, mm-hmm. you know, make it positive rather than negative. And this is the way. Absolutely. And I had just uh, a handful of episodes ago for anybody listening to this one now. If you go back, you can find an episode with Skilling Mining that are in Ireland, and they're using um, they're, they're they're mining on bio uh, gas, which is basically a mix of freshly cut grass. Um, and farm waste from uh, a dairy farm or a chicken farm. And that all gets put into an anaerobic digester and you capture the methane and you run a generator and you mine Bitcoin. And so your byproducts of all of that work from the anaerobic digester is unbelievably brilliant quality fertilizer and Bitcoin. <laughs> so it's, uh, and the, and fer- the Bitcoin mining, they probably repurpose the heat for something in the, in the manufacturing as well. So the, the next sure idea, it. the next the next idea for that is to get um, greenhouses uh, erected 
next to uh, next to the site, uh, which is all completely hidden underground and just um, well not underground but like built into a hill, so it's just grass. You can't see any of this. Uh, but next to that, you would have polytunnels, big uh, greenhouses, so you can heat those and grow more vegetables um, <laughs> and fruit throughout the um, throughout the year. Uh, so, yeah. like, come at me. You greenwashers, like what's going? On? Like, you know, all you've got to do, you, if you if you took a thousand social justice warriors around that kind of um, process and said this is what's actually going on, we would get we would get all of this nonsense out of the way pretty quickly. Uh, so yeah, but again, it takes time, like you said. But um, thank you, mate, for coming on. Thank you for uh, doing everything you're doing in the Bitcoin space. It's been great to get to know you. Uh, people now know how to come and get hold of you, so I'll send them your direction. And uh, yeah, like I said, happy to make any introductions that you might want. Just just give me a shout anytime. Thank you for your time. Thanks for the opportunity of being here. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's, let's keep in touch. Cheers, fun. Have a good evening. Cheers. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that rip. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for everything you're doing in the Bitcoin space. Thank you for making such an amazing looking product, which which is working fine because he was kind enough to ship one across to uh, the Suffolk Jungle Room. You guys might have seen the Suffolk Jungle Room around on Twitter. They are now the proud owners of a, uh, a heat bit Bitcoin mining heating machine. It's keeping their house plants and their customers warm. They're running it around three or four hours a day. As they open, they'll run it all morning and that heat will stay in the cafe. And it's a, a real eye-opener. It's an, an amazing piece of equipment. They say it's quieter than the fridges in the cafe. The fridges are making more noise than this Bitcoin mining machine. That is the level of engineering that's gone into this thing. And it's a real talking point, and people have already driven from miles around to come and look at one to see if it's something they can put in their own business. And they've started ordering a few of these machines on the back of this. So you know, go and check it out, heatbit.com. And if you want actually to use the code BITTEN at checkout, uh, the links are in my link tree, and I would I will put a link in the show notes here. You'll be able to get a 5% discount by using the code BITTEN at checkout and by hitting that referral code uh, in the link um, in the show notes. If you want to try one of these things out, uh, they're, they're very elegant looking. So there you go. Alex, thank you for building such a, an amazing piece of equipment. Make sure you guys are stacking sats. These prices are not going to be here for long. You will rue the day you didn't buy at uh, 23,000. People are already ruining the day. They didn't buy at 16,000 when they had the chance. But if you had a dollar cost average plan in place, you would have been checking, uh, picking up some of those cheap sats. You know where you can do that now. Long supporters of the show, Swan Bitcoin, Relay, Coin Corner, and Hoddle Hoddle, where you can enter onto a global peer-to-peer trading platform and you can pick up some kyc free sats using their service like we've talked about before you can go back and listen to any one of these founders they've all been on the show including max hillebrand from wasabi wallet 
who's going to teach you about coin joining. If that's a service you're looking to get into, you can use wasabiwallet.io to improve your privacy on some of the coins that you may have already acquired. But make sure you are using a cold storage device. That's the last piece of the puzzle. Get complete and full control of the Bitcoin. This is not a drill. You can use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and use the code bitten to get yourself a 5% discount of the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. Thank you for listening, guys. I'll catch you on the next show. And if you're not on Orange Pill app yet, what are you doing?